B-E-D-U-L-A-O. Watch your back, watch your back. A chance is gonna get you what you back, watch your back. A chance is gonna get you what you back, watch your back. Oh, there's a chance Hi, Douglas. Hi, Jules. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm out of school for the summer. Oh, it's party balls. time. Party time. Party time. Yep. That's, yeah, that's about it. It's it's <laughs> it's San Juan, isn't it? Today? And it's San Juan today, yeah. Which is relevant to our story, I hear. It is, but we'll get into that later. This podcast is about any and all crimes that occur in the Basque Country. And or around the world. It's true with any connection to the best country, be it a surname, be it a... Yeah. Be it where the crime happens. Mostly about surnames, if it happens somewhere Mostly else, right? Mostly about surnames. And it's about the best country and crimes. So that's, that's the other right. thing. we Mostly covering crimes. As silly as they may be, sometimes they're very silly crimes. Like, Well, a lot of crime is silly. It is, it is. It's true. <laughs> so... Very silly. We'll cover all of it. Hmm. The gory, the gory, the and silly. the silly. <laughs> but yeah, we're mostly trying to have a good time and explore connections to the best country as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're getting some drinks. Yeah, we got a drink. Uh, we're having some kava. Indeed. I'm celebrating that I finished work for the year. Nice. So yes. I'm on. I'm on summer break. I started School's out for summer, as Alice Cooper would say. Mm-hmm. It's and... fun. <laughs> You probably don't even know that song, do you, Douglas? No. <laughs> Until you said it was a That's song. That's the funniest thing about Still didn't even know hanging out with talking. you is that, like, our pop culture references are like, you're like, I don't, I don't know. No idea. <laughs> no. After Michael Jackson and Madonna, it just goes very fast down. Well, those are very, like, pinnacle pop culture moments for me, too. Get those. So. Get those. All right. Bedtime cool. Story is my first CD. Bet you didn't know that. Which one? Bedtime Stories? Mm. Oh my god, that's so much later. It's a bit. It's a bit. But <laughs> Mine's like True Blue. I had like, I had like radio Like and a virgin. Stuff. But we only got like a CD player quite late, like around about that age. I'm that talking time. cassette tapes. I was cassette tape. Yeah, player. that's the thing. I never had cassette tapes myself. Wow. So. I, my I remember eight tracks. CDs. My parents had eight tracks. And Douglas is drinking a beer. We're, I'm drinking a beer. A, a, a very forgettable Estrella Galicia. Actually, it's pretty nice for a for It's a, a, it's a good lager. It's a good, mm-hmm. uh, you know, simple, inoffensive lager. Mm-hmm. I, like I do it. like it. I do I like, like it. it. Shall I get into our story? Yes, you have a story to show to me today. The sources were um, Euro Weekly News, Fascinating Spain, mm. WordPress, Amusing Planet, mm-hmm. Bilbo Click, mm-hmm. and of course, my old friend Wikipedia. Nice. Exciting. Yes. I should really donate to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> this, um, is, this is a historical one, isn't it? Yes, it is. So this week's episode is going to cover something fun that our producer, Megan, stumbled across while we, you know, a while ago. Mm, thank you, Megan. Yeah. And we thought it might be fun for or fitting for a summer episode. Okay? Yeah. So no worries, all of you listeners. There's not really any disclaimers or, you no. know, content warning I have to warn you about. This won't be covering anything that will give you nightmares. No goriness. Yeah. It doesn't involve, like, murder or gore or anything like that. 
So. But it is a coincidence. So the only content warning I would give is like check your facts, keep your receipts mm-hmm. when trying to prove or disprove something okay. historically. <laughs> True. So uh, my one sentence synopsis for this story. Mythological creature surfaces from the sea, baffling men in robes. Men in robes. So mm-hmm. how exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, creature from sea is already... It's, it yeah. sounds a bit scary, to All be of it is scary. So maybe it will produce some nightmares, but probably not. Just scariness, nightmares, yeah, Yeah, not not real crime. And the best thing about a historical story is that all the sources say the same thing. So, like, there's no discrepancies between sources. Very nice. So this story takes us all the way back to around 1650 Mm -hmm. uh, to a small village called Yerganes. Mm -hmm. It's on the Cantabrian coast. So as... um, we have said in previous episodes, but for new listeners, mm-hmm. um, Cantabria is the province to the west of Biscaya. Mm-hmm. It's um, Biscaya is where we live. So it's on the northern coast of Spain and to the west of the Basque Country. Yeah. It's not part of the Basque Country. No. Yerganes isn't exactly on the coast, but it's a bit, it's a bit inland, but it's near Santander, which right. is on the coast. Okay? Yes. Which is the capital of Cantabria. It is slightly inland, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a small little village. It looks very stunning in photos. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's, uh, it's on the list of places to visit oh, for nice. our Basque, Crimes of the Basque Lands excursions Oof. that we might do in the future. It's a good It's a good tour. It's got the beautiful green hills surrounding it. It's like a little picturesque village. 2,000 people. Yeah. Tiny little place. It's got some really sweet architecture, a Roman bridge, mm. and then probably some really good food. You always have good food around there. You just mm-hmm. need to be lucky to find a good re- restaurant. Um, and yes, as you were saying, the latest census says there are 2,391 inhabitants. Mm-hmm. As for the population back in 1650, I have mm-hmm. no fucking idea. But mm-hmm. it was probably smaller and a lot less picturesque than it is today. Well, um, just as picturesque, I think. Maybe, maybe. Not as, not as like, you know, like tourist destination no, sort of no. picturesque. So, um, back in around 1650, um, there was at least one family living there. A married couple, (laughs) Francisco de la Vega and Mm -hmm. Maria del Casar, Mm -hmm. and their four sons. Okay. One of which we'll learn about today is their second son, Francisco de la Vega Casar. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. So, Francisco Sr. dies, Mm -hmm. leaving his wife and kids with no income. Mm. So, you know, what is a family to do in this circumstance? Yeah, terrible social security those days. No, <laughs> no social security, no, no, no yeah, Zero. no pensions, yeah. So the mom sent her son, Francisco, mm. off to get an apprenticeship as a carpenter. Nice. So he's going to earn some money somewhere else and send it back to the family. So this is where our story brings us to Uskavi. Mm. To Bilbao. He was sent to Bilbao. Really? How yep. sweet. Which is where we live. Here we are. Yep. That's a connection. We're already yep. in Basque Country. <laughs> <laughs> so, according to legend, Francisco did in fact become a carpenter. Mm. And he worked as one until 1674. The event that starts this whole mystery is on St. John's Day Eve. Mm. Today. San Juan. Right? Yeah. So this is a religious holiday, um, which is happening today, in fact, while we're recording. This is the day of. So this is happening right now as we speak 
in and around the country. Yeah, well, all over the Latin American continent, too. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you some background mm-hmm. on what what St. John's Eve is. Yeah. Okay, so this starts at sunset on June 23rd, the day of our recording. It's the eve of the celebration before feast day of St. John the Baptist. Okay. In the Gospel of Luke, it states that John was born six months before Jesus. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the Feast of St. John the Baptist was fixed on the 24th of June. Mm. So six months before Christmas, according to the old Roman calculation, blah, blah, Mm. blah. This feast day is one of the very few saints days which commemorates the anniversary of a birth rather than the death Mm -hmm. of a saint. Um, So the Feast of St. John closely coincides with the June solstice. Right. Also referred to as Midsummer. That was just a few days ago. In the Northern Hemisphere. Yep, that was on the 21st usually is yeah. when they say the solstice is. The Christian Holy Day is fixed on June 24th, but in most countries festivities are mostly held the night before on St. John's Eve. Mm. So, There's a thing about fires and bonfires. Yeah, we'll go into that. Okay. So like I was saying, this is celebrated here in Bilbao and in many other cities and towns as we know as simply as San Juan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. On the eve of San Juan, the town organizes giant bonfires Mm -hmm. in various neighborhoods to welcome the summer. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Okay. I see the connection with paganism now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The solstice, right? And the fires. Yeah. 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 So according to the website Bilbo Click, the bonfires and fiesta are to welcome the summer with the arrival of San Juanada in Bilbao Mm. and its witches night where we will burn our fears and ills. Oh, Interesting. So I'm sure all three of us have attended one of these yes. fiestas I at have. some point. I, I have, have as well. I didn't know about the reasons or the connection with the solstice, but that's lovely to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, the one I've been to is in Echibarillo Park, which is in Bilbao above Casco Viejo, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just above the old town. Mm-hmm. So they put on a big bonfire. There's It's huge. And then there's people um, walking around in like these creepy costumes. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, there's like drum beating and people walking around in costumes that are like, kind of like. So I think that's the witch's night type of thing. Interesting. I'm not sure if that's the connection. Well, in in, in Brazil, people get dressed up as like uh, country folk. And it's like a national holiday. Everybody's like dressed up as a, they call it caipiras. And like, you're like from like a baserdi, like from from a farmhouse so like okay they'll try well, lots of checkers you know <laughs> big uh cowboy hats that's the sort of thing people wear in brazil so different kind of dress up but finally okay. uh, they do dress up somehow i mean it's not like the local people are up there dressed up it's just like a performance they're putting oh, on right. Okay. right before while the fire is going these people are walking around doing creepy things and, um, yeah, you're encouraged to write down your fears and ills or whatever negativity you want to get rid of mm-hmm. before the beginning of summer. So you're encouraged to write something and then people are encouraged to go up and throw it in the fire. Whatever mm-hmm, you've written mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. In our story, it was on San Juan, San Juan's Eve or San Juan, mm-hmm. you know, or St. John's Day Eve During when our San boy Juanada. Francisco was out celebrating with his workmates and he decided he'd like to go for a little swim in Bilbo's estuary mm-hmm. which is the river yeah Nervion that runs through the city 
So he was a, apparently he was a good swimmer. So this idea didn't seem too outlandish that cool. he wanted to go take a swim. Very nice. Maybe it was already heating up in the city as as of like today. Today was very hot. Yeah, right? it's definitely yeah. hot I mean, weather. It's summer. It feels like summer outside. Yeah, right? there's a slight disconnection for us because after industrialization, the Ria became quite polluted. So oh yeah, yeah. We don't immediately think of diving into, diving the into these the days. No, <laughs> but I'm sure in a 16. What is it? 15. 1674. I think. Lovely water there. Was when he this happened. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was probably hot, and maybe he had some drinks. You probably. know, out celebrating. Probably. You know? And this is when most people come up with the best ideas, right? Of course, I mean, <laughs> out drinking, know. it's hot. So he disrobes and he jumps in to the river, and this is when everything went terribly wrong. Oh. The current was either too strong or mm. maybe he was too drunk, okay. but he was unable to get back to shore. Oh man! So uh, the last that his workmates saw of him was being swept downstream until they lost sight of him. Oh. And okay. this estuary would eventually carry him out to sea because it's an estuary, it right? It does, yeah. So they didn't worry too much about him because they thought he's a strong swimmer. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll surface at some point or he'll swim to shore at some point and maybe just walk way, his way back, right? Yeah, yeah, we would hope. They figured he'd just reappear, like, eventually. There's so, quite a stretch of river from here to the coast, so it's not like yeah. he's immediately being... Like, if he didn't get out immediately, he may, like, later have more opportunities to get out. Yeah. But a day went by, and he never did reappear. Oh, man. So he was presumed to have drowned, and that was that. So uh, should we take a break right here? Let's do that. Okay, we're back. We're back. All right, well, back to our story. So he went into the river, mm. disappeared. Poor guy. Assumed to be drowned, right? Yes, yes, yes. So hang on to your chapella, Douglas, because this is where it's going to get crazy. All right? Okay, okay. And, you know, <clears throat> it doesn't end there, right? No, I don't That's not where so. the story ends, because otherwise this would be a very short episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it'd be pretty boring. So, um, <laughs> our story picks up five years later. Wow. It's yep. a long time. Pre mothers. Yep. Very sad. She lost her son. Son died. Yeah. Everybody assumes he's drowned. Oh, yeah. Co-workers. No money in the family. His coworkers were like, oh, we were trying to keep an eye on him and he decided to go swimming. You know, you might feel a little bit of guilt, you know? Excuses made. Yeah. Uh, our story picks up all the way down in Cadiz. Oh, wow. It's the very southern tip of Spain. Uh, it's right across from Africa. Yeah. Pretty far. Yeah. Like, we're at the very top north of the peninsula, and he... It's and way this down story picks south. up right at the very tip of the southern yeah. peninsula. So, it was down in Cadiz. Right. When local fishermen began to spot this strange-looking aquatic creature in the water. Okay. Okay. Yeah. At one point, a group of them even had the creature entangled in their nets, Ooh. and it was fighting to escape their right. nets, their fishing nets, right? Okay. They struggled to capture it, but the creature was able to break free and swam off. Mm. Over the following weeks, several different fishermen had reported sighting the creature and attempting to capture it, but with no luck. Until one boat was able to lure the creature close enough to catch it by using loaves of bread. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
right. classic. Interesting. They love their bread. <laughs> I mean, you would have bread lying around. Like, mm, bread, I'll come for that. It's Southern Europe. You gotta have bread. They love their bread. I mean, everybody. So they got it with book. bread, right? Mm-hmm. So when they were able to haul their catch on board, they found that it appeared to be a beefy young man mm. with very white skin, oh. thin red hair, oh. and very corroded fingernails. Oh. Okay. Okay. But what had confounded them most was his fish-like appearance. Okay. He was reported to have a strip of scales that ran from his throat to his stomach and another strip that ran the length of his spine. Mm, cool. In addition, he had what appeared to be gills around his throat. Right. Okay. So thinking they had some kind of monster on their hands, they did what any rational person would do. <laughs> Try to kill it. No, they took him to the church. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, it's 1779. 1679. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So they were like, well, the church knows what to do, right? Uh, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I guess if there was an alien. Take him to the church. They would take it to the church. It was, in fact, the covenant of St. Francis where he was delivered. The convent, okay. Mm hmm. Um, and apparently being the church and having received an ungodly beast <laughs> from a bunch of fishermen, uh -huh. they promptly performed an exorcism. Oh, I thought they were baptizing first. On him. Okay. Yep. They know they exorcised him immediately. Okay. Devil be out. Devil be out. Makes right? sense. It's kind of rich trial-y times. Mm -hmm. And they um, interrogated him in several different languages, but to no avail. Oh, I love the detail of the different languages. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that they interrogated him in Basque? Of course not. Well, what do you think? Come on. I mean, it's quite far from the Basque country. That's my yeah. guess. But if it's several different languages, what languages do you think they were using? Latin? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Okay, and no answers. Yeah. Then what? <laughs> I Castilian? Mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Castilian. What several. It said several Pro different languages. So, what other? Probably Arabic, because... Arabic, just, okay. They're Africa, just across right from across Africa. Africa. Yeah. And if we're thinking that, you know, if they were thinking he crossed over the Straits, mm -hmm. there's a lot of Berber spoken there, or, or Amazigh is it also. Where's that from? Berber, and or slash also known as Amazigh, is, is the languages that were spoken around Morocco, um, Algeria, Tunis, before the Arabs arrived. Okay. So they still continue to live today in Algeria and um, Morocco. In the mountains, mostly. So it's kind of like the Basque of North Africa. Okay. In a way. French, Portuguese. Yeah. Catalan, Basque, uh, Galician. Then you could you could start going for the tiny languages, like Bable, which is from Asturias. Asturias, yeah. You could go for Ar Aragonese, which is Aragon. Aragon. Yeah. I mean, it's far from the coasts, but, you know. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't have any answers, so they were just... Trying to get answers out of this guy. Yeah, so, it's an well, interesting. Let's try this language. It's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they were thorough, they'd have to get they'd have to get like seven Basque dialects. You know. True. Three from True the north. True. At the time, yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Four from here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's uh, I I like that detail though. Yeah. Very considerate of them mm. to think of different. Well, languages. they were just like, who? What the? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks like a man. <laughs> But he's also a fish. I like that. Well, so after several days of getting no answers from their fish man, mm -hmm. he finally spoke. Oh! He simply uttered the word... Yeah, 
Okay, so... And nobody knew what this meant. Oh, right. Made no sense to anybody. I mean, it was a tiny town those days. Right. right? So... If it was, if it's 2000 now, imagine in 16. Right. I've never heard of it today. <laughs> I had, I had. And we live near. We do live very close. We do close. live pretty close to it. So it was inquired about around town with no luck until one day a sailor from the north who happened to be docked in Cadiz, mm-hmm. Cadiz mm-hmm. at the time said there was a small village near his hometown by that name. Mm-hmm. So, Domingo de la Cantoya, mm-hmm. who was the secretary of the Holy Office. Mm-hmm. It's the tribunal of the Holy Office of the Inquisition. Yes, yes. More known as the Inquisition. Yes. He confirmed that there was, in fact, a small town, like, called... Yerganes. You got it, you got it. <laughs> it was near Santander. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Still um, is. Which is where he was from. He was from Santander, okay, this yeah. guy. So he got the ball rolling. This all got the ball rolling on their investigation into who this fish man um, was. So I, I presume he's detained in Cadiz? He's just being held in this coven. Right. This right. coven. Or this convent. Sorry, right. convent. Does he have access to water? <laughs> well, I'm sure they're feeding him and stuff. I don't no, know. But if he's a fish man, he uh, maybe true, needs a true. bit more I water. I have no idea. They didn't go into any details like that. We kept him in a tank. Right? That <laughs> no, would be I... hilarious. <laughs> no, there's no details like that. He's in the pond. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just splash him with water every four to five hours. <laughs> he does like bread. Like yeah, the ducks. he loves bread. <laughs> Poor guy. Just, just, just think back at the crazy things they said about witches, you know, so. Right. This is the kind of people exactly. we're dealing this with. Exactly. This is the people we're dealing with. These are the people <laughs> that are investigating it. So, so the Bishop of Cadiz sent word to Santander to fill them in on their captive and to, he gave them like, he filled them in on what was going on and it was complete with a physical description mm-hmm. to see if anyone up there was somehow related to this creature or would recognize him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. So it's like, has anyone seen this fish man? Yeah. Or does anybody know this fish man? Has anyone lost their fish man? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I they had that. like sent like a police sketch type drawing. <laughs> he looks like this. Seems like they didn't think about that yet. Probably not. Who knows? Who knows? That's a cute, cute. We have to ask AI Tor to give us some opinions. Oh yeah, that. we uh, AI Tor is gonna have a, a field day with this, we're, we're, right? Yeah, you guys, you have to <laughs> sign up to, to our Instagram to get our AI images that we generate yeah. based on our stories. Yeah. And whatever they come, whatever AI Tor comes up with. There's some beautiful, beautiful images. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I love some of them. So they received word that no one had, in fact, lost a fish man. Okay. And no creature fitting that description had ever been spotted around town. Right. Weeks later, yeah, because right. it takes, what, eight right. days like to walk there? Right, like how long was the message you could take to get up there? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the only news of missing persons reported out of... Yerganes. Yerganes. Was the tragic death of a red-headed man five years earlier in Bilbao. Mm. One Francisco de la Vega Casar. Mm. Okay. Somebody, somebody remembered him. Oh, okay. His mom, his brother, Somebody. Sisters. So upon hearing this, a Franciscan friar by the name of Juan Rosendo mm-hmm. at the convent theorized that perhaps this fish man they were holding was indeed Francisco de la Vega. Sure. Red hair is rare enough. 
Right. Can go with that. And that perhaps he'd been swept out to sea from Bilbao. Because they mean, heard about him mm-hmm. having gone into the river and disappearing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that he'd been living as a sea creature for the last five years before arriving in Cuddy's. A fascinating theory. Yeah. <laughs> so he asked for permission to take the fish man uh-huh. back up to Lierganes, Lierganes mm-hmm. to follow up on his theory. So I I like to I like to imagine this like um, conversation like you guys. Mm-hmm. Just let me take him up there mm. and just see if anybody recognizes him. And they're like, oh, "Come on, <laughs> like, what are the chances?" And if it's the only word he said ever, right? You know, it, it, there's a bit of weight to that. And like, what were they going to do with him otherwise? Right? Yeah, like build a we don't wanna, pond. <laughs> like, is he going to become a monk or something here, this fish man? I mean, it's hard if you can't understand even Latin. <laughs> right. No other languages can only say one word. Yerganes. Yeah. So I just love to picture them discussing this with the guy going, come on, let me take him up north, right? Mm-hmm. So they did end up granting this friar, Juan, permission to take the fishman up north to see what's what, right? Mm-hmm. So according to legend, when the friar, Juan, mm-hmm. I'm just going to call him Juan, Sure. And the fishman were nearing the town of Lierganes. The friar let the fishman loose. Oh my gosh. And just followed him to see if he would lead them to town. And he did. Not only did the creature know the way to Lierganes, but he led him directly to the house of Maria del Casar. Oh wow. Francisco's mother. I'm impressed already. Yeah? This is crazy. Right? So upon arriving, she and her two sons immediately recognized him mm. as their long lost son. Wow. Right? Turn of story crazy. Right? I'm imagining somebody slightly drunk hitting his head against a rock and saying, Oh, now I'm a fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you could believe that. Kind of psychotic break, and now I'm right. A fish. And then once now you're I'm in a like fish. a familiar, like a familiar surroundings, that you suddenly it could help you. You're like, oh, read. I know where I am. Yeah. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. 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 Could could be happening. Yeah. You just have like snap back into reality. I mean, it's I, true. It could happen. Yeah. Our our works of fiction talk about that. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> it seems based on real medicine, but I'm not a doctor, so. No, neither am I. Neither am I. So he ended up moving back home with his mother wow. and his brothers. He led a quiet, albeit strange, existence while living with his family at their home. Right. It was said that he would always walk barefoot. Mm-hmm. And unless clothes were forced upon him, he preferred to be nude. Oh. Well, he never really talked again. Oh, wow. Except that he would sometimes mutter the words tobacco, bread, or <laughs> wine. But never out of a desire to smoke or eat or drink any of these things. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Oh. In fact, when he did eat, he would do so with like intense fervor and enthusiasm. But at the same time, he would, could go for like a week without eating anything. Wow. Yeah. That's a very odd... Yeah. I mean, at this, what, he was found like five years or more? After he disappeared yeah. in Lobel. Yeah. So you could have gotten used to not finding food for a long time. Right. And kind of got into that habit. Yeah. Very odd. So he was said to be rather docile and obliging, accepting any task he was given and performing it immediately without any, like, emotion or any, you know, 
anything. Nice guy. He yeah. clearly understands Castilian still. And so he carried on like this for like nine years back in the village. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of considered to be the town loon. Sure. I mean, those days, people yeah. accepted a lot of crazy things. Until one day, Da-da-da-da. he left to go for a swim in the sea and was... <sighs> I mean, you know, you can't take the sea out of the sea monster. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> Hilarious. Right? Hilarious. So that's the story, but I'll get into theories. Okay. After the okay. break. Shall okay. we take a break? Yeah, this is a on edge <laughs> break. I'm excited to hear theories. <laughs> See you guys soon. Okay. And we're back. Hello, Julie. Hello. Hello, listeners. All right, so... How did this legend live on? Because it is a legend. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, it's a fantastic story already. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if part of this were true, it would be crazy. Yeah. And it lives on as and being it, this crazy story. There appears to be, you know, some truth to it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because, like, mom was there. People wrote about it. Yep. It's almost 1700. So, you know. Yep. Writing is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Hmm. So, speaking of that, mm-hmm. um, in the early 1700s, around 1720, okay, so this is during the Age years, of Enlightenment. Oh, 40 years after the happening. Around ish, there, yeah. Ish, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, he lives. A scholar, writer, and Spanish monk mm-hmm. by the name of Benito Geronimo Fejo had come across this story of the fishman through several of his acquaintances, whom okay. he considered to be very credible. I'm going to give you a little background on Fejo. So he joined the Benedictine mm-hmm. order mm-hmm. at the age of 14. He mm. studied in Galicia, wow. León, and Salamanca. Okay. Later becoming a professor of theology at the University of Salamanca, mm-hmm. which is a very famous university. Very famous, yeah. He was dismayed by the superstition and ignorance of his time and set about to combat it through scientific study. And very valid, especially so, for the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as a monk as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. He garnered science, much science. admiration and fame throughout Europe, but came up against hardcore opposition. Mm, for particularly sure. Particularly in Spain. In one quote, it was said that Quote, he tried to uproot many popular errors, awakened an interest in scientific methods, and is justly regarded as the initiator of educational reform in Spain. That's very nice. Yeah. Okay. So that's Look into this guy. Very nice. Okay. So when Fejo first heard about this amphibian-like man, he was, of course, skeptical. As a man of science and a staunch pragmatist, he was extremely dubious about the existence of such a creature. Mm. As a writer, he was a vocal opponent of superstition, hoaxes, and charlatans. Charlatans, that's right. It's, it's actually charlatans, you're right. Mm. So he set out to establish the story's veracity, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that far from the <clears throat> facts, you know, what, 10 years or 20 maybe? 40, right? It was 1674 when he was... Found. Yeah, but then he didn't he live another ten years. Another in his nine village? or so years, yeah. Yeah, so okay, it's so like 30. into the eighties, yeah. 
30 years away from effects. Yeah. You know, still live, people alive. Legal, yeah, exactly. That so that's could where talk this about comes it. in, right? Mm, mm. So he did so to, uh, by interviewing, documenting, sorry, by interviewing and documenting the accounts given by reputable witnesses who were around at the time of the events. Mm. He quoted several of his sources, including Marquis of Valbuena, mm-hmm. an educated nobleman from Santander, Don Gasper Melchor, de Melchor. la Riba Aguero, <laughs> a knight from the Order of Santiago de from Gajuano, mm-hmm. which is a Gajano, town. Gajano. Gajano, excuse me, which is a town near Yaganes, and Don Dion, Dionisio. Dionisio Dionisio Rubalcaba. Thank you, Douglas, from Solares. Mm-hmm. So this last man, he allegedly all like knew. important people randomly. They were know? all very important mm-hmm. people, right? Which at least so, which makes them more credible. Definitely, right? Definitely, right? Especially so this if man, they're... this last one was allegedly knew and met Francisco. Okay. De la Vega. Okay. Okay. So he interviewed these men and many others who were around at the time of when Francisco reappeared in the village. He included a number, a number of details, names, and dates in his writings. He went so far as to put forward scientific arguments to back the presence of fishmen in the sea. So cute. Yeah. I love that. Ultimately, he concluded that the story of the fishman was in fact true. Wow. People also concurred with his findings, claiming that if this renowned skeptic believed in the existence of a half-human, half-fish creature, then it must be true. Mm-hmm. Therefore, solidifying the credibility of the legend. Yeah. Okay? Interesting. In fact, stories about fishmen were very popular in Europe and in Spain around this time. Really? And many writers wrote about them. So the legend was solidified and taken as fact. Hmm. Until two centuries later. Oh, long time. Yep, two centuries. Yeah. Nine. Dr. Gregorio Marañón mm-hmm. disputed the findings of Sure. By using actual scientific explanations. <laughs> 230 years later. Current. Sure. For the time. Right? Current. Yeah. But was so, this, what, is this 19... So this is 20s, in 19, 30s? yeah, 19 something, 19, early 1900s. Okay. Okay. Just 100 years ago. So I'll give you a little background on this guy, Dr. Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I call him, Dr. Greg. Mm-hmm. He was a Spanish physician, scientist, historian, writer, and philosopher. I like it when you could be five things. I know, right? <laughs> he's a man of many trades. I mean, you only had a few so books to read. A real read thinker, right? This be, guy, yeah. he's a real thinker. Yeah. So aside from his intense devotion to medicine, mm. he also wrote about history, art, travel, cooking, clothing, hairstyle, and shoes. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I feel a gay theme there. I think I, I know, get right? along with the boy. <laughs> That's what I thought. He's <laughs> <laughs> like a fashionista of his time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so amongst his works, oh, well, I don't know if I should even mention this, but amongst his works were a, we got it, we got it, was a series where he examined the great human passions through Mm. historical characters. Interesting. So he wrote these series of books that were just about like the, the psychological and profiling of people. Yeah. Through these historical characters, how these are played out in real life or something. Mm. He studied the text written by... Faithful, mm-hmm. and thought, oh no, I can explain this man's appearance. Okay. Okay. 
Hold so, on to your chapelas. Hold on to your chapelas. Because I don't He's think this explain. explanation No, no, no. <laughs> I actually... Oh, really? Think, you like it? Oh, okay. I think he did actually okay. explain it. Okay. This is 1920 or so, right? Sure, sure. Okay, so there's a lot of, like, evolution in medicine and some et cetera. Warts, some okay? warts. I mean, psychology was pretty bad still. Well, though. sure, but <laughs> that's not... The, the man looked like a fish, according to everybody that saw him, right? So, but... Let's see, let's see. Okay. So while he did admit that uh, Fejo's account did offer up many did offer up excuse me many credible witnesses and testimonies mm. and they were most likely true mm-hmm. you know but it was um, primarily sorry primarily the accounts documenting his disappearance in Bilbao and his reappearance in Cadiz before being brought back to the to Cantabria mm-hmm. and then disappearing at sea mm. all over again yeah okay so all that he deemed to be true. This mm. all happened, right? Okay. But Francisco's fish-like appearance could be explained by a common disease found most prevalently in mountainous regions. Oh, interesting. He referred to it by its antiquated term, mm. cretinism. Cretinism. Like a, like a cretin, right? Like a, a, which is derogatory now. It is. Like. Interesting. So today, this condition is no longer referred to as cretinism, mm. but it's called congenital Iodine deficiency syndrome. Okay. It's a condition that is present at birth in babies who've had insufficient dietary iodine during the pregnancy, creating an inadequate production of the thyroid hormone. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's all been eradicated in developed countries. True. Through iodine supplementation in food and through blood tests to check the thyroid function in newborns. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it goes untreated, both physical and mental development will be impaired. Mm-hmm. The physical symptoms may include goiters. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a goiter is? It's like when your neck swells up a lot. Yeah, or you have balls of things on your, like on your a, neck. Like okay. a swelling of something on your neck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to specify. Yeah, it's a gradual enlargement of the, of the thyroid gland. Mm. Okay, and that's called a goiter. Oh, so that might have been what they were thinking were gills. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. So here's a little historical sketch of people with goiters. Okay. This is like an old school. I would, yeah, I would say. Medical sketch. Real bad sketch of some people with. Well, they had to draw it in the days, right? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, just. You you wonder if the guy is like a second year art student or if he really <laughs> had goiters. <laughs> Sure, let's go with it. Let's okay. let's suppose they actually look like that. <laughs> um, other symptoms and physical traits include stunted growth in infants, resulting in a shorter stature in adulthood. So the adult stature without treatment ranges mm. from one hundred to one hundred and sixty centimeters, okay. which in feet and in inches is three feet three inches to five foot three inches. Yeah, tiny. I mean, one. I'm shorter than the top range. Oh, sorry, Jules. <laughs> I'm fucking five foot two. Your mom, your mom never gave you salt with iodine. I know. I feel <laughs> robbed. I feel fucking robbed. Hilarious. I know. I was like, oh dear, I fit into this category. I think. I think you. Be... But I have no goiters, right? No, no. Could no, you no. tell the listeners I do not have goiters? Zero, zero. <laughs> but she has a very muscular neck. I have a very sure. muscular neck. You're some yeah, sporty it's huge. girl. I have like a footballer's neck, right? You're a sporty girl. <laughs> it's more like uh, what you call it, the whole 
Um, my shoulders are huge. Shoulder, upper body, yeah. My dad has big shoulders, so I think mm. that's where I got it. Nice. Nice one. <laughs> I'm tiny, but I have huge shoulders. I am a real freak of nature. We all If are. they found me in the sea, they'd be like, get this girl <laughs> to the convent. This girl's Who a fish woman. Beastly. <laughs> Aside from being really fucking short. <laughs> like myself. Right. Okay. They had thickened skin, hair loss, enlarged tongue, mm. protruding abdomen, delayed bone maturation, delayed puberty in children, mental deterioration, neurological impairment, impeded ovulation, and infertility in adults. Oh, good to know. We're not going to have fish babies. So this is all traits of this cretinism, otherwise known as... What did I say? Iodine was, deficiency? What did I call it? Uh... Congenital iodine deficiency syndrome. Congenital. Mm. Okay. Wow. So, as for the symptoms that signal their mental deterioration and neurological impairment, sufferers may be lacking in muscle tone and coordination to the point that they cannot stand or walk. Mm. Their cognitive impairment may range from mild to severe. And in most severe cases, the person presents as nonverbal mm. with slower thought processes and reflexes. And often those afflicted are most severely. Oh, sorry. Often those afflicted most severely are wholly dependent on others for their care. Interesting. So. It ticks many boxes. Yeah. Like the swollen tongue. So Dr. Tongue Greg. Would stop you from Mara speaking. Marañón. Marañón. He surmised that the fish man's physical appearance and mental disorder could be explained by the ravages of this disease. Mm-hmm. So the lumps on his body, goiters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The thinning hair. The appearance of his fingernails, because remember I said they were corroded. Mm. His lack of verbal ability, mostly mute, except for four words, right? Mm. The name of his hometown, tobacco, wine, and bread. Bread and wine. That was it. All the basics. That's all he could ever say. Yeah. And the fact that most reports say that he was kind of dim-witted and docile. Mm-hmm. In addition... Um, the fact that he was from a mountainous region mm-hmm. further supported this theory. So a big thing about the mountains there is they, because today sea salt has iodine. If you're not eating anything from the sea, it's possible that you never get iodine. Mm-hmm. So that's why it would be connected to mountains. Yeah. This was an affliction that many were known to suffer from the Santander area at the time. Okay. Okay. So where he came from, this was a problem. Kind of endemic. Having. Okay. Yep. No bacalao there. If you'll indulge me for a moment, I will give you historical background Mm -hmm. linking mountainous regions with this lack of iodine in the soil. For sure. Okay? And this is all from Wikipedia. It's quite... It's kind of long. A a, a paragraph. A nice paragraph. Let's go for it. Okay. And this is all quote. Quotes. It's all directly from Wikipedia. I didn't write any of this. Okay? Yes. I trust it enough. Okay. Soil deficient in iodine Mm. is most common inland. In mountainous regions and in areas of frequent flooding mm. plants and animals grown in iodine deficient soils are correspondently deficient populations living in those areas without outside food sources are most at risk of iodine deficiency diseases How congenital iodine deficiency syndrome was especially common in areas of southern europe around the alps and was often described by ancient ancient roman writers and depicted by artists mm. Fascinating. The earliest alpine mountain climbers sometimes came upon whole villages affected by it. Oh my gosh. 
At that time, the cause was not known, and it was often attributed to stagnant air, quote-unquote, <laughs> and in mountain valleys or bad water, quote-unquote. The proportion of people affected varied markedly throughout southern Europe and even within very small areas. It might be common in one valley and not another. Mm-hmm. Well, they could have iodine in the other valleys yep. somehow. Yep. The number of severely affected persons was always a minority, but mm. and most persons were only affected to the extent of having a goiter mm. and some degree of reduced cogni- cognition and growth. The majority of such cases were socially functional in their pastoral villages. Mm -hmm. More mildly affected areas of Europe and North America in the 19th century were referred to as goiter belts. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, goiter belts. That's just so funny to me. Anyway, the degree of... It's odd enough. (laughs) It's, It's weird as hell. I know. So, yeah, like, people are going there like, oh, my God, all these people I'm happy. have goiters. I'm, I'm very happy we got rid of goiter belts because now True. there's iodine Absolutely. salt. There is no more goiter belts. Well, and I'll explain why. So the degree of iodine deficiency was milder and manifested primarily as thyroid enlargement rather than severe mental or physical impairment. Mm-hmm. In Switzerland, for example... Where soil does not contain a large amount of iodine, Mm -hmm. cases of congenital iodine deficiency syndrome were very abundant and even considered genetically caused. Mm. So at first they thought it was just something that was Yeah, inherited somehow. So as the variety of food sources dramatically increased in Europe and in North America, and the populations became less completely dependent on locally grown food, Mm. the prevalence of endemic goiter diminished. How interesting. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So this is supported by a 1979 um, WHO, World Health Organization, publication, which concluded that changes in the origin of food supplies may account for the otherwise unexplained disappearance of endemic goiter from a number of localities during the last 50 years. Wow. So they didn't even make an effort. So it was like just about getting food from other places. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Isn't so, it? Yeah, so apparently, like, if, if your apples come from a valley with iodine, they've got enough iodine, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Right? I always thought it was associated with salt for some reason, but that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't until, like, everybody started eating food from other places that these yeah. things disappeared. So warning for your self-sufficient Don't be people. so, yeah. Like, don't eat everything from the same valley. Just exchange some fruit with the next valley. Yeah, have a trading agreement. At least you need to exchange apples. Yeah. (laughs) Have an apple exchanging season. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I I learned something in this story. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Okay, so a goiter or goiters that might have been on Francisco's neck might explain, as you said, Douglas, earlier... The gill-like features mm-hmm. described by those who encountered him, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, this was something really weird. I mean, so, the fact that he resurfaced in Cadiz, where this condition is not common, mm, yeah, they would look at this person and be like, what the hell is this guy's huge neck Very all good about? Point. Very right? good point. Very good point. They might so, have found it normal in his village. Right. If another Because apparently there's an endemic yeah. right at mm-hmm. that time mm-hmm. in Santander, or the area around Santander. Mm-hmm. So... You know, they thought, oh, my God, this guy's got a fishneck or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 1700s, what are you going to say? 
1600s, sorry. Late 1600s. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Additionally, Dr. Marañón, or Dr. Greg, as I like to call him, Mm -hmm. concluded that perhaps Francisco suffered from a skin disease that would explain the scaly appearance of his skin. Mm -hmm. This could have been due to a genetic disorder called ichthyosis. Ichthyosis, yeah, it looks like it. The name comes from the Greek word ichthys, Mm -hmm. which literally means fish. Yeah, yeah. I knew that. And its most defining feature is thick, excessively dry, and scaly skin. So, here you go. If you want to explain. It's very illustrative. Yeah, it's as if somebody... type of skin disorder. Yeah. It looks like giraffe. A giraffe sort of uh, pattern. Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe a little bit less detailed than a giraffe, but it's as if you had some tights. Like thick, thick. It looks very thick. It's, like, it's as if your skin was earth and it had dried after it was mud. And then you could yeah. see your skin between the cracks. That's a good description. Sort of your normal color skin, sort of. Mm. And it just looks like like a dried up skin. And it could be interpreted as, as scales, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Greg, Gregorio Marañón, mm-hmm. he came to the conclusion that if his theory was accurate... And that Francisco de la Vega's Casar had an acute case of creatinism, and then the mere idea of him swimming from Bilbao to Cadiz would have been implausible. So if he, mm-hmm. so, in his own oh, really? when he was coming to this theory, mm-hmm. he was like, "No way did this guy. Mm-hmm. If this was his Make problem, mm-hmm. he didn't swim from Bilbao to Cadiz." I mean, he's got because four of the, years, the syndrome that he had. But sure, yeah. But the, because of the syndrome that he had. That mm-hmm. that would have been impossible for him. So, he had to come up with some theories of his own to okay. explain how Francisco ended up in Cadiz. Mm. So, he supposes... So, now all of this is theory from here on well, out, yeah. right? Yeah, uh... He supposes that Francisco did make it to shore, but just ended up wandering from place to mm. place until he found himself in Cadiz by following the coastline. Okay. And the fact that he was found off the coast while out in water was just a coincidence. Mm. Or was it? According to this Dr. Greg, he probably sustained himself by eating anything he could find along the seashore, such as marine algae and shellfish, mm-hmm. two types of sustenance that are very rich sources of iodine. Yeah. If someone suffers from congenital iodine deficiency syndrome, their symptoms can be alleviated by eating iodine-rich mm-hmm. foods. Yeah. Also, sea air is naturally iodized, which oh, you said. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know the sea air was... I just All the food connected to the sea was iodized. Yeah. Or I, mm-hmm. well, I thought. So it was creating a far more comfortable environment for someone afflicted with the syndrome. How interesting. Yeah. So Dr. Marignon also speculated as to why this young man just disappeared into the river and that not much much was made of it at the time, neither back home or by those who worked with him in Bilbao. Mm. They didn't do like any sort of investigating. Mm-hmm. I mean, his mother was not up in arms like, what happened to my son? Who... I mean, she heard about it a week later. She so... heard about it and like, nah, well, okay, my do? son died, right? What you going to do? Yeah. So he supposes, mm. oh, this is where it gets a little dark. He supposes that Francisco was sent away to Bilbao after his father's death because he'd become an economic burden on mm, the family mm, mm. and a source of shame due to his disorder. So he may have had like the goiters. Sure. He may have had the skin disability condition. already, right? The skin sure. condition yep. and 
you know, mental and physical disabilities associated I, I, with it, right? I will jump ahead, perhaps, and uh, interject that I don't think the guy would accept him as a student if of, of carpentry if he, he well, saw this guy turn up. Okay, wait okay, for okay. it. Okay, okay. So then he further postulated that once living and working in Bilbao, he then became the problem of his workmates. Yeah. And whoever his, like... What do you call somebody that has an apprentice? The master or whatever. I guess it was the master. Huh? Yeah. So became the problem of them, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Describing him as probably a possible unproductive servant. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So he deduced that either Francisco actually did go for a swim in the estuary and was swept out to sea, mm -hmm. but survived and wandered until he ended up in Cadiz. Mm. And his work buddies were relieved to see him float away. Sure. Um, or that perhaps they offered somebody money to take him off their hands and mm. use him as a servant, where he was ordered to fetch tobacco, bread, and mm. wine, the only words that he was able to mutter, aside from the, his hometown, right? Interesting. So maybe he escaped, maybe he escaped mm -hmm. from his servitude or whatever, Yeah. and was abandoned, or he was abandoned. Yeah. And then he was left to fend for himself right. by feeding on whatever he could find along the coast. True. So whatever the case may be, Francisco was found after five years, and his appearance had aroused so much curiosity that the church went to great lengths to return him to his family, where they just and that they were then burdened by him again. Doctor Greg said he went so far as to say that his final disappearing act by mm. going out to sea and then never coming back was. Not an accident, mm. or by his own, Volition. you know, making. Yeah, and was part of another like sinister plot. A way to get rid of him. Mm -hmm. Ooh. So obviously this is not proven no. by any stretch, yeah. you know. But uh, but that's that's it. So wow. it made for a hell of a good legend, right? It definitely does. It definitely does. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A, a, a weird twisty end there. I know. <laughs> Like, if they ended up murdering him in the end. Mm-hmm. It seems like an... But he lived there for nine years. Yeah. They let him stay for nine it years. Like it doesn't seem like they would just, like, they let's plot this murder for nine years. Yeah, they would have gotten used to him by then. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the naked guy. It's well, fine. they were probably used to him... What else are you going to do? ...before they sent him off to Bilbao as well. Exactly. You know, if he was problematic. But he probably deteriorated. With time, right? With this syndrome. I mean, it was always obviously better after living five years along the coast, supposedly. Mm. I mean, if he if he did, if he was... Yeah, that was another thing, is mm. that they thought that he was probably really bugged that he got sent back to Cantabria, mm. where he wasn't able to, like, have iodine-rich Yeah. It did deteriorate food. again. And, he, and it really made him just, like, yeah, deteriorate his condition. Yeah, it's, a, it's an odd one. Yeah. So, today, if you visit... Come on, it's Lergan, super close. Cantabria. Mm -hmm. If you go there, you'll find a monument. Oh. So, it will find the monument to the fishman. It's a statue that sits on the bank of the Miera River, just below the Roman Bridge. Oh. It so just looks like a little guy little bronze sitting statue. next to it, like, it's a nice plating. I don't know. Nice position. Yeah, it looks like he's just like a guy sitting by the river. Yep. He's got one... And in fact, in that town, it looked as though... Like in the tourist sites that I was visiting for this town, it looked as though they were saying he disappeared from that river, not Bilbao's river. Oh, interesting. 
So like they skipped the part where he went for an apprentice to Bilbao and disappeared. Mm. Well, thank you, Douglas, for joining. You and the story. Me. It, it's and it's it's been a beautiful story. Thank you for, for researching it. Mm, tell me, it was fascinating. I, <laughs> I learned a lot about weird things. I know. <laughs> I it was fun. It was really actually really fun. I loved it. I loved story. it. And uh, even if this is coming uh, to you um, in autumn. In September. Or, or winter. Because it's probably going to come to you in September. Indeed, indeed. Somewhere around there. Let us, let us transmit the warmness of the months of the we're recording of in. That we're... <sighs> all right, Douglas, I love you. Warm, and, warm uh, thoughts to all our listeners. Yes. And I love you too, Jules. Thank you. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And what do we say to... What's our... We bid you... Agur. <laughs> Crimes of the Basque Lands is written and produced by... Douglas D. Carvalho. Julie Garcia. I'm Megan Dooley. The sound and editing for each episode by... Douglas D. Carvalho. I'm Megan Dooley. Theme song written by... Douglas D. Carvalho. Julie Garcia. I'm Megan Dooley. Sung by the choir with no name and produced by Tom Squires podcast art by distinct signal follow us on instagram and facebook at crimes of the basklands and contact us at crimes of the basklands at gmail.com with story ideas worldwide which have a connection to the basque country or any rave reviews if you like our podcast please subscribe like rate and review wherever you get your podcasts until next time agur, agur.